Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the second half of Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me, I'm Saturdays with Joy Keys at Hotmail.com. I would love to hear from you, suggestions, comments, they're all welcome. I'm going to be doing some giveaways. I have a book we're going to be discussing today, hmm, Black Women and Breastfeeding. Any controversy there? How did you learn about breastfeeding? What did you know about breastfeeding? Um, is breastfeeding better than formula, or were you told that formula is best? Um, did you put a little alcohol in the formula to help the baby sleep? We're going to be talking about all of that today. I have a re- researcher, professor, of Law at the University of Hawaii, um, William S. Richardson School of Law. She's a recipient of the 2020-21 Fulbright King's College London Research Scholar Award. She wrote a book called Skimmed, Breastfeeding, Race, and Injustice. I also have a guest, Jabina G. Coleman, and she's a licensed social worker, and she is a licensed uh, international board certified lactation consultant. Uh, she was on the show before, and she's going to be uh, helping us talk about the situation of breastfeeding and racism. I think they're both on the show, the lines right now. Ladies, are you here? I'm here. Yes, this I is am. Jabina. I'm here. Yes, Jabina's here. Andrea, Andrea, are you here? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you so much, ladies, Excellent. both of you, for calling in this morning. Thank it's you for having me. Being here. <laughs> I was like, anybody? Crickets? Hello? Hello? <laughs> and great to meet you, Javina, over the airwaves. Yes, same here. Same here, Angie. Yes, um, I thought it would be great to have Javina on. She was here before, but she has like immense amount of experience dealing with women and breastfeeding. But I'm going to start with you, Andrea, and I'm going to start with the fact that you're a white woman. And you're yep. writing this book about African-American women's experience in breastfeeding. Why? What drove you to this? Okay, great. Thanks for asking that. And thanks for putting that right up front so we can just get it out. <laughs> get, um, get it out in the open. Yeah, exactly. The question on everybody's mind. Um, so 
I do work and have been doing work for a long time on what I call food oppression, which is the cooperation between government and corporations that leads to racial health disparities. And these disparities are often explained away by racial stereotypes or myths about personal responsibility that obscure the structural nature of the oppression that leads to these disparities. So in that research, I have spent a lot of time thinking about milk and the way that milk is a symbol of white supremacy and milk is pushed on on us um, by the government, even though most people, and especially people of color, cannot digest milk. Mm-hmm. So while researching milk, I started looking at breast milk. And while doing that, I came across the story of the Fultz sisters, who are called the famous Fultz Quads, and their story is central to the book. Uh, They were born in North Carolina in the 1940s. Their mother was black and Cherokee. She was not able to to hear or speak, and she uh, gave birth to the these girls who were the first recorded black identical quadruplets. Now they had a white doctor who was racist and he decided that he was going to seize the opportunity of these miraculous girls who became instant celebrities and use them to conduct experiments on. So he named them after his own family members and then he conducted a bidding war uh, with formula companies to become their corporate godfather. And they Mm -hmm. became the first black models for formula. And so this, you know, new campaign affected a lot of black families who then decided to take on formula or supported the decision that they had to make because, you know, they had to work and other things. So I, I went to see if, you know, what had been written about them and there was very Mm -hmm. little out there. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I found this story so fascinating and so important. You know that they had been exploited throughout their whole lives, and and nobody knew about it. So I didn't I know about did it. More and more I'm research. so glad that no. you did. No, I mean, I Thank was you. <laughs> I was excited. I was I was, I saw the cover, and then I was like. But she's had racism, and I'm thinking, okay, so I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to read this nice little story about these four girls. And um, I started reading, and I was happy, and then I got sad, and then I got mad. And then I was like, damn, yeah. oh, oh, here we go. Okay, here we're going to talk about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, let Sorry. me ask um, Jabina, I wanted to talk to her. What are some of the myths you might have heard when you were growing up about breastfeeding, or did you even hear about breastfeeding when you were growing up as, as a young girl? So first I would love to say um, Andrea's book, um, as a lactation consultant and a mentor in a lactation community, this is one of the books that I recommend to all um, birth workers and folks who are interested in the lactation professional because of the historical context that comes with it. Um, to answer your question around, like, my experience with breastfeeding, no, breastfeeding wasn't a, a conversation we had, actually. In my family, I was the first um, to have a, amongst my, my, my generation, 
the first to have a baby. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm Caribbean. And so breastfeeding, it wasn't a question if I was going to breastfeed or not, um, because mm-hmm. culturally that is what we do is breastfeed. So that wasn't the issue. I think the issue came when after having my son not having access to resources and the support needed to sustain breastfeeding. And so mm-hmm. um, my introduction to breastfeeding when, was when I was an undergrad doing, and this was around Healthy People 2010 at the time, so this was 2003, and the, the statistics around breastfeeding disparities and, um, you know, Healthy People 2010 goals at the time, and I was just so baffled, like, so why aren't black women breastfeeding? Um, and I was currently pregnant with my son, who's now 17, and was like, I'm going to breastfeed. Like, this is something, you know, and um, yeah. not really having access to not having resources and support available to me. Not that my family and partner at the time wasn't supportive, but it was the access and accessibility. Andrea, in your book, you talk about this issue Really, the mother of the four folks' uh, sisters, she was, like, backed into a corner from day one with this doctor who I wanted to, and I'm not really a violent person, strangle as I continue to read the book um, with his dealings with this company, the pet uh, formula company. Now, they did a lot for this uh, family so to speak, but they did more for the doctor. In your experience, do you think formula companies are still manipulating women's choices today, Andrea? Absolutely. I think their marketing tactics are so insidious. No, they, they'll use pictures of people breastfeeding, but then give a message that formula is actually better. And they prey on on people's insecurities about whether they have enough milk and you know, normal behavior of babies, like maybe they don't sleep all the time or, you know, maybe they cry and they're, you know, and they try to kind of pathologize that to when you make were having people your feel child, like there's a problem. Yeah. When you were having your child, you talk about that a little bit in the book. Did you feel yeah. that way? Um, can you tell the audience, did you feel that way when after you gave birth and you're in the hospital, um, were there posters? Were there signs about formula? Did, did the doctor or nurses talk to you about formula? Or did they were like, oh, you should breastfeed and this is how you do it? <laughs> well, so I had um, twins, and they were very premature. They came at 31 weeks. And so I wasn't, I didn't have any milk. And so I had to give them formula. They, they were in the NICU for a month. And... I was trying and trying and trying to get enough milk. You know, my entire day would be pumping and trying to put one on the breast and then the other one on the breast and then, like, Mm. feeding them whatever I pumped and then doing this and then doing it all over again, right? Like, they'll tell you it takes 11 hours a day to breastfeed. So one baby with two, it's 22. Yeah. (laughs) That was just, like, (laughs) that was life all day, all night. Jabina, is this a, a story you might have heard when people have premature babies? Um, is it a problem, them expressing milk for their children? Or is, is, what is your experience with that? Is, is that something that, that you've heard? 
I think the problem, yes, it's a it's a, an experience that a lot of um, new parents with um, twins and preemies um, and just babies in general experience is the um, how much milk do I have, right? Trusting the process of like, you know, do I have enough milk to feed this to feed my baby? And I think some of the um, anxiety around that comes from really not being prepared of what to expect. And so oftentimes mm-hmm. people are not educated in the prenatal period about, you know, what to expect during the postpartum period and what lactation and breastfeeding consists of um, and how much time it takes and the patience that comes with it. Um, and I think um, Andrea mentioned, right, so normal baby patterns, what does that look like? And so when we think about babies nursing around the clock, also oftentimes people think that I'm, in, I'm insufficient. I don't have enough breast milk. I can't, you know, breastfeed enough. I don't have, you know, I don't have it. And people are often yeah. used to seeing milk in bottles, right? And we're used to seeing two ounces and three ounces, and we're able to quantify it that way. But, um, you know, I think there's this lack of um, understanding, education around um, what to expect in the first, especially in the first few weeks of life. Now, Andrea, in your yeah. book, you talk oh, about sorry. the... Sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Can I make a comment ahead. on... Uh, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, everything Javina is saying is just so perfect because she's really talking about <laughs> how there's no, there's no choice involved, right? And a lot of what I think about is how the issue is framed as one of choice, right? And there's, there's, a, there's a racist approach to it saying, oh, black women just don't want to breastfeed or they make that choice or their families make that choice. When it's really all of these structural factors, right? It's not that mm-hmm. people are uneducated. It's that doctors aren't trained, right? People aren't trained when they should be to give that advice. The, what you need if you're going to breastfeed, like, you know, pumps or... Um, you know, bottles and all, and all the things that come with it, that's not available. So it's really the support from outside that is making the choice, but then it's framed as a personal choice. All right. And well, I also think what also isn't discussed as well is the historical context around wet nursing, um, the historical mm-hmm. trauma around breastfeeding yeah. um, that, Andrea that isn't discussed. Andrea discusses that, um, Jabina, in, you know, in her book, she discusses about you know, the early settlers, they came and they were using wet nurses and then that was put aside and then they start, people started using African-American women as slaves and they would take them to nurse white children, but they were not able to nurse their own children. But Andrea also discusses a system that was created with African-American women where they co-nursed. So if a woman, you know, was away from her child, the other woman may nurse her child. So that was a beautiful thing, and that was a great communal um, situation. Uh, but Andrea, in the book about the, the, the sisters, the false sisters, the babies were actually taken from the mother. Um, and we yeah. think that was, okay, that happened back then. Back then, this white man was able to get the babies taken. He gave them to the nurse. I think her name was Elma, correct? And mm-hmm. they were raised by, by Elma. So these kids were taken from the mother. She, she couldn't um, really see them. And as they got older, the time and space between them got larger. But even today, there was recently a story in the news about this um, American Idol, uh, one of the 
people who were on the show, Saisha Mercado, and authorities had taken her baby because she brought them to the hospital. She brought the baby to the hospital and wasn't able to get enough milk. Mm-hmm. This is today. This is 2021. <laughs> and I think the kids yes, I don't think the family twice. History. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Andrew, has this is all seen still this? happening. Yeah, it's still happening. Yeah, yeah it's still happening. And what it, is another the recourse still in the book? And I think, I think to the point with Saisha as well is that she turned to the medical system for support in weaning yeah. her her one year old. Um, and again, the system failed her based off of their lack of knowledge and support around breastfeeding. Andrew, you're a professor of law. Yeah, Andrew, you're a professor of law. What recourse would somebody today have, an African-American woman today, in a situation such as Saisha's, where they took the baby because um, a a welfare, uh, you know, from a social worker perspective, this child was being neglected. That's what they saw, supposedly. What is is your suggestion as, as a professor of law? Yeah, I wish I had easy answers. Um, I mean, it's definitely something that should be challenged, but I think that, you know, my intention in writing the book and sharing the information is to raise awareness so that that is not the approach that's taken because the these ideas are so ingrained in the system that it's hard to fight, right, and maybe in one individual case. I wanted to mention Tabitha Walrand, who is another black woman that I write about in the book, who Mm -hmm. had a very tragic story as well, that she was told by the doctors that it would be fine for her to breastfeed, and the Medicaid didn't get her a card because they messed up through their system. No doctor would see her child, and he died on the way back to the emergency room seven weeks after he was born because she couldn't breastfeed but was told that she could and there wasn't enough. And even though when that happened to white women, there were changes in the system and there was outrage and the women were upheld as heroes, she was prosecuted for homicide mm-hmm. and then mm. vilified in the press. So, And you talk about in your book, the Chicago Hope show, use mm-hmm. the story but put a white woman as the character. Yes. Exactly. So that people were mad at the system, they were mad at the hospital and not at the mother in the in the in the Chicago yeah. Hope story, you know. Exactly. And yeah. This brings this brings me to um the industry and the US government. And in your book you talk about the US government spends 68 million dollars uh, buying formula, as I'm correct, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the and and the industry spends 484 million dollars on promotion. Is, is this? Is, am I understanding that? Yes, I don't have the exact numbers, but that's that's about yes, right. Just, yes, about right. Yes, so exactly. Where is the choice? I'll go back to choice then. If all this money is being spent to push these things down uh, women's throats. Uh, as as this is your only option or this is the best option, um, then where is the choice? Jabina, in your experience, do you feel that this is being shoved down uh, women's throats and is it being shoved down African-American women or pe- women of color more 
than their counterparts, Javina? Yeah, I think that um, it is in the fact that, um, you know, the marketing is selling, you know, selling formula. Um, And what we also see is in marginalized communities, um, in areas where folks, one, have to return back to work and school sooner, um, where there isn't enough support around, um, you know, parenting and breastfeeding in the in the fourth trimester in the postpartum period and so it also shows that this is like the only option for you um the easiest option uh and a lot of the work that i do is to create is creating spaces so that folks are have community um have a village of support people to to help through this process um and it is heavy lifting uh, we know that black women and um, brown women, marginalized communities are targeted. Um, and so it takes a lot of on-the-ground work, but this is where policy work comes in um, and a lot of education. And it's, it's systemic across the board. Andrea, talking about, can you talk to the audience? You wrote about TANF and the 13th Amendment. Talk to the audience. Yeah. What's the connection there? Why, why did you put those two things? I know, but I want you to talk to the audience. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, so uh, when the government changed welfare rules, right, in the late 1990s, then they made it so that a state who gives out welfare could insist that women go back to work right after giving birth basically making it impossible for them to breastfeed and forcing them to do work outside the home instead of inside the home, right? Because we all know those are both work and often inside is hard. Yes, exactly. I'm a mother. I know. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So, um, So what I talk about is the, you know, the disproportionate impact that has on black women and how it relates back to the period of enslavement when enslaved black women were forced to leave their infants, right, to do work. And we have the 13th Amendment that said that is not okay, right? No more slavery. And that's been interpreted to mean you cannot force people to do work, right, Mm -hmm. Um, instead of just maybe a literal enslavement that we had back then. Uh, But this rule from TANF, which is, you know, the the name for welfare, is forcing women into work and having this outsized impact on black women, which also connects it back to the reason that we have the 13th Amendment in the first place. So I argue in the book that it violates the 13th Amendment to enact this, what we call like a vestige of slavery Mm -hmm. in the present. I remember when my daughter was born and um, she was, I wanted to go back to school and they had the subsidized childcare. And so I was like, oh, great, I'm going to go, I'll be able to go back to school, I'll be able to get the subsidized childcare. And they were like, no, you have to work, like, I think it was at the time, this was years ago, my, my daughter's grown, but I think it was like 28 hours a week or something in order to get subsidized childcare. And I was like, 
but I'm trying to go back to school. Like, isn't this what you guys want? You want me to, like, you're always talking about nobody wants to better themselves, and we're, we're you know, sucking it literally almost we could put a picture of a breast, and I'm sucking the system dry, if you will, okay? Mm-hmm. But so you're mm-hmm. not going to help me get ahead. You just want me to work somewhere at some no, like, I don't know, an hourly wage job that is not going to allow me to go back to school. I won't have time to, to do anything. Um, right, so or get I, any I, I, like I, I thought, real training, exactly. like skills training or education on the on the job, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, it's like a dead end, and you can only make yeah. a certain amount of money. And if you go one dollar over, I mean, literally, I, I've been there. If you go one dollar over, whatever the guideline is, you will not get any benefits that month. They will literally cut you off. So mm-hmm. you're like at the whim of this system, and you can never like climb out. Even though I did, I was able to, thank God, but, you know, it's not easy. um, Jabina, in your experience um, with women who, have you worked with women who are on TANF, and what has been your experience helping them try to breastfeed or formula feed? What has been your experience with that? Um, I think, so, now we're seeing that women who are on TANF oftentimes are also on um, WIC. And WIC does have a new breastfeeding package that they're off, you know, that they offer to um, breastfeeding and um, lactating folks. And so um, it's, it is hard. And I think these are the folks that we often see who are working um, lower-wage jobs and don't have the time. Oftentimes these jobs don't have space for folks to, um, to pump. Um, enough time to take breaks so that they can, you know, pump their breast milk. Um, and so a lot of what I do with folks in this situation is preparing, talking to your provider, talking to to, to your manager um, or superior in regards to what this will look like when you return back to work um, or school. And so it's all, for me, it's a lot of the preparation beforehand. Um, and, and we you know, see it's people funny. having to leave work. Yeah, when I was when I was my, like I said, this was years ago. My daughter's twenty seven. Um, I don't remember them talking to me about breastfeeding. I remember the nurse in the hospital talking to me and trying to work with me and things like that. And like it hurt like hell. And I was like, oh my god, I don't know if I can do this. This is crazy. Um, but it, I, there was a nurse. I, I do remember talking to me, but I don't remember the wig thing telling me about you know how to breastfeed. But I, in my family, it was the expectation that I was going to breastfeed. Like that was just like okay, you know, like I don't know. That was the you know, it was a positive thing. It was like yes, you know, this is good for the baby, and you should do this for six months and da 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 da. But in order for me to do that for six months, I didn't work for six months, and. Um, the crazy thing that happened, the place I worked for, the owner died. So I was able to go on unemployment, and I was able to breastfeed. But if I, if I didn't do that, when I had to go back to work, I tried to keep breastfeeding her for, like, another six months, but it was extremely difficult. And I remember, like, getting engorged and just being like, oh, my God. You know, I would have to go to the bathroom <laughs> and, you know, relieve myself, so to speak. Um, Andrea, in, in your book, you talk about a woman, um, I think she was working, I don't know if it was UPS or FedEx or something, and, and mm-hmm. she, uh, they told her that she, had, she could go in her truck and, bre- and, bre- uh, and pump, pump her breast milk. Talk to the audience about that crazy story. <laughs> I mean, right, and then it's go into the toilet, go into your FedEx truck. Like, 
this is just not anything we would expect, right? It's not sanitary. It's not reasonable. It's not logistically possible. Uh, you know, we need a complete overhaul of thinking about work and and family life and just life, right? And not to this needs to be a priority. We all were babies. We all. <laughs> You know, needed nourishment. That's how a society thrives. And we're just caught up in this very work-intense way of looking at things that doesn't accommodate this. And, you know, it's racism, it's misogyny, sexism, right? This is a, a woman's thing, so it's not prioritized. Uh, but it's it hurts everybody. You talk also about how the U.S. hasn't signed up for the uh, World Health Organization's guidelines. Has the U.S. government ever said why? Uh, Has it changed with different presidents that maybe they would? And tell the audience Hmm. what that code is or what the the WHO was saying should happen with breastfeeding. Yeah, there's there's an international code that says you don't do things like advertise formula to pregnant people, right? We have a system here where you've got Target sending formula samples to people who buy pregnancy tests, right? And then, like, surprising their family with the knowledge that they're pregnant like, what? they didn't even tell them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all kinds of, like, shenanigans going on there, right, that are in most countries not legal if they have signed on to the code. But the U.S. won't sign on to that code because there's so much support formula from the government we had at the world health assembly a couple of summers ago ecuador tried to put forth a resolution promoting breastfeeding and the u.s went oh my god that was crazy Crazy. yeah i read that that in your book yeah yeah so i mean this is just a classic case of the government being in bed with a company trying to just help them make money at the expense of people everywhere it's profit over people now, Jabina, we are getting close to our time. What are some things a woman can do if she's pregnant now? What can she do to prepare for breastfeeding? Breastfeeding, and where should she go after she has her baby to get support? I think preparing looks like finding out, you know, who your support people are. Um, you know, oftentimes we'll say a breastfeeding class, but I think. Yes, taking a class, but also finding out your village, your, the people who are going to support you in the postpartum period, um, I think is key. Finding finding that, that tribe. Should their partners um, go? Let me ask you this. If they are absolutely. married or in a relationship, should the male or female partner go? Uh, I, I don't want to put absolutely. a gender, you know, whoever their partner is, should they go also? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think absolutely. So your partner should go. If you have a sister girlfriend, I always say bring a sister girlfriend or your cousin or often your aunt. Whoever is going to be there with you to support you um, in the postpartum period should be that person. Um, and then again, finding your tribe, finding people who um, building building community, other parents, other new moms, other new new parents who are like will likely be going through the same thing or who've gone recently gone through the same thing. In Philadelphia, I. Um, we host um, Bay Culture. We host Bay Cafes, which is breastfeeding awareness and empowerment, every Tuesday virtually. And so we have a community of 
um, primarily black women in the city of Philadelphia who support one another with breastfeeding. And so, um, and not just breastfeeding, right, but a lot of the parenting, new parenting woes that come with it um, because that too and emotional mental health can affect lactation. And so um, I think it's really important that you find, um, you know, who those people are and, um, and who the re- what the resources are in your community. Andrea, in your book, you talk about selling breast milk. Can you, what, yeah. really? I mean, and, and then, talk to the audience about this. What would that look like? Is that a, a good oh. thing? Because some people can't uh, produce milk. Talk to us about that. It can be. It can be. I mean, in some ways, it's very similar to the wet nursing or exploitation of the past, right, where there are companies that are making a fortune off selling breast milk, but they're paying women very little for it. And this is another industry that's targeting black women. Um, But, you know, there's also informal, more informal ways to get breast milk if you need it through even Facebook groups and other kind of online groups, right, where people want to. But it's all very controversial because some of it is processed and pasteurized and some of it is just passed off between people. So uh, there's a lot to think about there. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was crazy. One of the interesting things is in, uh, you said in United Arab Emirates, uh, they require their mothers to nurse for, nurse for two years. And if they can't, the yeah. government will provide a wet nurse. Is that positive or negative, do you think? And is that something that would be good for America? I think that whenever you take choice away from people completely, it's not a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. uh, You know, we should all be free. And really the point of breastfeeding advocacy, I think, particularly in relation to race and racism, is that we want everyone to have a full and clear choice. Right, right, and so that it, it's if you want it, you can do it. So I wouldn't advocate for taking away choice from anybody for any reason there, um, but more support would definitely be a good thing. Well, I thank you guys so much for coming on this morning, Andrea Freeman. I'm going to be giving away some copies of your book. It's a really great thank story, you. and as Javina said, showing historical situation of breastfeeding and formula and how it impacted the African American community. At the end of your book, you also provide different resources for for women to go to, and I think that was a really nice touch at the end to have that. Uh, Javina, thank you so much. Javina, where can people reach you on social media? On social media, you can find me at The Lactation Therapist, and my website is thelactationtherapist.com. And, Andrea, are you on social media, um, or should people just yeah. go to the university? Yeah, you can reach me there. I've got a, a Twitter, a, a Freeman Law Prof. <laughs> Not too active, but I'll try to get okay. more active. So. Yeah, people I'm sure are going to have questions about this book. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's great. It's, I could see a follow-up, you know, to it because, it's like you said, the incidents are still happening now. Um, but thank you both for coming on this morning. I hope you guys have a great weekend, okay? Thank you for having awesome. us. It was great to talk to you both. Thank you. You guys, thank you for listening. I hope you guys will stay tuned and uh, follow me on social media at Joy Keys. On Twitter, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys. On uh, Facebook, 
and Saturdays with Joy Keys on Instagram. You can also email me because you're going to have to email me if you want to win a copy of Andrea's book, Skims. So follow on social media. Thank you so much for your support, and you guys have a great weekend. Stigma may not directly affect you, but it harms the one in five Americans living with mental health conditions. Which prevents millions of people from seeking help. So do yourself and everyone a favor. Go to CureStigma.org and get tested for stigma. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.